Good morning. My name is Brian DeMaster. Uh, our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John. I will be reading from chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Hear the word of the Lord. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God, and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. This is the word of the Lord. Well, last week I told you about my love for Christmas lights, and this week that love continues, but we're going to do it this week with a countdown or a ranking for must-see Christmas light shows, okay? So these are my four must-see Christmas light shows, and I was just talking, Capco would be on this list, but they don't have a light show this year, so I couldn't put them on my list. So here we go, four must-see Christmas light shows. Coming in at number four is 620 Aspen Avenue in Oostburg. The guy who lives at this address decorates his house to run a light show that gets better every year. Pros of this show include an extensive playlist of songs and no traffic on a quiet residential street. Cons of this show are having to hold your head at a 90-degree angle while you watch from your car. But this guy has tons of songs. I have never heard the end of his Christmas playlist. So that's number four. Number three is Enchantment in the Park in Regner Park in West Bend. Coming in at number three is Regner Park. It's been a few years since I've been made it to this show, but pros of this show include the option to walk or drive to view the show, so you can do both. However, the walking route doesn't cover the entire show, so you, in order to see the whole show, you got to drive. Number two is Holiday Light Show in Lakeside Park in Fond du Lac. Pros of this show include a unique piano key display to coincide with the music. The downside is that traffic quickly becomes an issue and it can be difficult to find a viewing spot because there's so much traffic. And you might have caught my number one light show in last week's message. So topping the list is Making Spirits Bright in Evergreen Park in Sheboygan. Unique to this show is a lighted elf on the shelf who changes locations every few minutes. The show is drive through only, so you can enjoy it all from the warmth of your vehicle. A residential house across the street from the show features the iconic light lamp from A Christmas Story in its front window. The drawback through only show are inexperienced light show viewers who ride your tail and blind you by failing to turn off their headlights. If you're stuck with one of these types behind you, it's best to find a place to pull over and wave them through, which I have done on numerous occasions. So that's the must-see Christmas light shows. Anyone ever seen any of those shows in here? Anyone gone to those shows? Yeah, absolutely. So I give you this list of Christmas light shows because this Advent we're preparing our hearts for the coming of Jesus, who is the light of life, as John calls him. Jesus is the light of life. And so to begin today, as we go to our scripture reading in John 1, I need some, some participation from you all. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read Genesis 1, verses 1 to 5, and then I'm going to read John 1, verses 1 to 5, and as we read these, I want you to be looking for connections and parallels and similarities between these two passages. So as we read these, pay attention to similarities and parallels, and then when we're done reading these two, I'm going to ask you for what parallels or what you know, connections you made between the two passages. So to begin, we're going to read Genesis 1, verses 1 to 5, which says, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. 
The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. And evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. Okay, so that's the creation, the beginning of the creation count in Genesis 1 verses 1 to 5. And now we're going to read John 1 verses 1 to 5. It's crazy that the chapter and the verses are even the same. Let's read John 1, 1 to 5. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Okay, so that's both. All right. So now it's your turn. What sort of parallels or similarities did you see in between each one of these passages? Light. Light. Yes, thank you. Absolutely. Another parallel. Creation. Creation. Yes, they're both the creative accounts. The Word, yes, God creates by speaking words. How else? Darkness, thank you, D. God brought light out of darkness. Yeah, He is the light that comes into a dark world. What else? In the beginning. In the beginning. This takes place at the beginning. Absolutely, yeah. Any else that you're finding? God's eternal presence. Thank you, Paul. Yeah, that He pre-existed even the beginning. I didn't think of that one. Wonderful, yeah. Anything else? Yeah, you got it. One one that I named, too, is that the the darkness cannot overcome him. He's more powerful than the darkness. But you got it. There's a ton of parallels between Genesis 1 and John 1. And what John is doing is he's going back to the beginning and writing his gospel to tell us about the Messiah, Jesus. He just goes right back to the very beginning to God, pre-existing creation, and God, as the Word, as you all said, speaks creation into existence. And is the first creative act, God creates light. And it's interesting that God starts with light because so much of creation depends on light. God creates plants, which depend on light for photosynthesis. He creates animals, which depend on light. And even animals that are nocturnal depend on the light. Because, for instance, the badger, who likes the darkness, in order for him to have food, he depends on other animals for the light to eat those animals and those insects. So even the badger, nocturnal animals, depend on the light. And then he, as his crowning creative achievement, God creates humanity, which we also as humans depend on the light. I mean, you know all the problems that we can develop when we don't get enough sunlight, vitamin D deficiencies, seasonal affective disorder, disrupted circadian rhythms, weakened immune system. It's a big problem when we don't have light. That's why they pay all those Alaskans for doing nothing just to, but to just live up there, right? Because no one wants to live up there because there's so little light. But God, as the Word, as John calls Him, speaks all of creation into existence. He breathes life into his creation. Look at how God creates humans in Genesis 2 verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils and the man became a living person. This is why John calls God the Word because God spoke, he breathed, and creation sprang into existence. All right, we get to do something else now. We're going to do another experiment. All right, take your hand and you're going to put your hand in front of your mouth And now I want you to say the name or names 
of your favorite Christmas movie. Okay? Ready? Put your hand in front of your mouth. Ready? One, two, three. Elf. Home Alone. Right? A Christmas story. You feel? Okay. So did you feel your breath on your hand when you spoke? Okay? All right. Now we're going to do the same thing, but this time you're going to say the name without breathing. Okay? Ready? One, two, three. A Christmas story. Elf. Polar Express. Okay. Did you still feel the breath on your hand that time? Yeah, you did. Because it's impossible to speak without breath coming out of your mouth, right? This is why John calls God the Word. Because God spoke. And when we speak, it requires breath to come out of our mouths. And so God breathed life into His creation. And the creation account closes with God speaking goodness over all of the things that He's created. But we know that things don't stay this way. It only takes to Genesis 3 for Adam and Eve to rebel against God, to try to seize the status of God for themselves. They sin by eating the forbidden fruit from the tree, and they turn away from God's light and God's life. And what's really interesting is, immediately after rebelling against God, Adam and Eve seek out the darkness to try to conceal their sin. Look at Genesis 3, verse 8. When the cool evening breezes were blowing... The man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. So isn't it interesting that in sinning, they turn away from the God, from our God, who is light and life, and they seek out the darkness to try to conceal their sin, to try to conceal what they've done. And what this does is this begins a pattern for humanity that over and over again, we sin. We choose the darkness of sin and death instead of our God who is light and life. We choose the darkness over and over again. Last week we read John 3.19, which describes this. John says, and the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the light or the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. And so repeatedly, over and over again, since that first sin in the Garden of Eden, humans choose the darkness over the light. We love the darkness more than we love the light. Case in point, the very next generation of humans has Cain killing his brother Abel. And then several generations later, a descendant of Cain named Lamech takes two wives for himself and he boasts about killing and revenge and how many people he's slain. And then generations after that, humans transgress a created boundary, transgress the order that God created creation with, and they join themselves to a fallen angelic race. That's in Genesis 6. And so the spiral continues. It's darkness over light, darkness over light, so much so that God just decides to wipe it all out with a global flood, preserving only Noah and his family through that global flood. And then several generations after Noah, God appears to a man named Abraham, and God makes a promise to Abraham. God takes Abraham out and says, look at all the stars in the sky, and as many stars as there are in the sky, that's how many descendants you will have. And your descendants will be in charge of showing the world who I am. Your descendants will shine my light into this world. Your descendants, the nation of Israel, will shine the light of God into the darkness of this world. I noticed something this week, and it's so obvious. It's like, how did I not pick up on this before? But in using stars for the promise, God is telling Abraham, your family is going to do what stars do. Stars shine light in the darkness. 
and Abraham's family is to shine the light of God into the darkness of the world to the other nations. I just never realized that before. It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. Well, it's God, so why am I surprised? Here's how Isaiah 6, verses 1 to 3 puts it. It says, Arise, Jerusalem, arise, family of Abraham. Let your light shine for all to see. For the glory of the Lord rises to shine on you. Darkness as black as night covers all the nations of the earth, but the glory of the Lord rises and appears over you. All nations will come to your light. Mighty kings will come to see your radiance. So Israel is to shine the light of God to the darkness of the other nations. And God births that nation, that family of Abraham, in captivity in Egypt, and God actually uses light and darkness to break Israel out of slavery. One of the plagues is darkness, and so Egypt is thrown into darkness while somehow, miraculously, Israel is in the light. Look at Exodus 10, verses 21 to 23. Then the Lord said to Moses, lift your hand toward heaven, and the land of Egypt will be covered with a darkness so thick you can feel it. So Moses lifted his hand to the sky, and a deep darkness covered the entire land of Egypt for three days. During all that time, the people could not see each other, and no one moved But there was light, as usual, where the people of Israel lived. So God uses the plague of darkness and light to bring Israel out of captivity in Egypt. And then he leads them by light to Mount Sinai in a pillar of fire. Look at Exodus 13, 21. The Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud. And he provided light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or by night. And then when the structures of the tabernacle and the temple were completed... God's presence came upon them, and God's presence was manifested in light. Look at Exodus 40, verses 38. This is the very end of the book of Exodus. The cloud of the Lord hovered over the tabernacle during the day, and at night fire glowed inside the cloud, as the, so the whole family of Israel could see it. This continued throughout all their journeys. So God continues to use light in conjunction with Israel, as they're supposed to shine God's light into the darkness of this world. However, even Israel runs to the darkness. Even Israel loves the darkness more than they love the light. They turn away from God. They worship idols. They commit sins like the other nations. In God's light to the other nations, they become like the other nations. And eventually God allows Babylon to attack attack Israel. At this point, they're Judah. Attack Judah, overtake them, and then carry them off into the darkness of exile in Babylon. Look at how Psalm 107 puts it. Some sat in darkness and deepest gloom, imprisoned in iron chains of misery. They rebelled against the words of God, scorning the counsel of the Most High. And so even Israel, God's vehicle of light, loves the darkness more than they love the light. God allows them the darkness of exile. This is the pattern. Over and over again, humans choose the darkness of sin and death over God, who is the light of life. And we do too. We're guilty of the same sin that's been going on since the original sin in the Garden of Eden, that we choose darkness and sin and death over God, who is the light of life. We're all the men in Proverbs 2.13. These men turned from the right way to walk down dark paths. We all walk down dark paths. And so the question becomes... Who fixes this? Who breaks the cycle? Who stops the pattern? Who intervenes to save us 
from our want to love the darkness more than the light, from our sin, from our rebellion, from our going back to sin and death over and over again. Who saves us from that? Thank you. Yes. You, spoiler alert. <laughs> yes, Cindy. Yeah. And that's who John is getting into when he calls Jesus the Word with a capital W in verse 4 at the beginning of his gospel. He's going back to the beginning to say, from the beginning... God was there. And now it's God who is rescuing us from our repeated sin and darkness. And then in verse 5, he says, here's what's unique about this person who saves us, is that the darkness cannot overcome him. The darkness cannot extinguish him. This is what makes him unique. This is why he will succeed where every other human has failed and run to the darkness of sin and death. He will succeed because the darkness cannot overcome him. And then John 12, verse 46, he speaks for himself. Here's the words of Jesus in John 12, 46. I have come as a light to shine in the dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. I'm the light who brings fallen people in the dark with me into the light. He is the light of life. It is Jesus who breaks this cycle of sin and darkness and death. It is Jesus who the darkness does not overcome. The darkness overcomes all humans except for Jesus, who is the light, who is there from the beginning, who is the eternal word, who breathed life into creation. It's his first act. It's Jesus who breaks us out of the cycle of sin and the darkness of death. Here's Jesus again in John 8, verse 12. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Those who believe in Jesus no longer walk in darkness because they have the light of life. They have the one who breaks us out of the darkness. And even Job is on to this. It's so crazy. Job is one of the earliest books. If you get one of those chronological Bibles, you're going to read Genesis and then you're going to read Job because he's so early. And even as early as Job is, he's on to the Savior. Look what he says in Job 33:30. He rescues them from the grave so they may enjoy the light of life. Isn't that amazing? From the beginning, God had this all planned out. So this prompts two questions for us, okay? If Jesus is the light of light, if Jesus is the one who breaks us out of the cycle of darkness, it prompts us with two questions. The first question is, do I need the light to give me life? Is Jesus a necessity? Is Jesus someone to be clung to with all that I am? Is Jesus... 100% required for life. 100% required for light. Or is he something less than that? Like, do I really need him? Do I really fully depend on him? Am I, am I destitute? Am I condemned to eternal darkness and death and hell without him? Am I left in my sin with no hope without him? Do I really need the light of life? You know, I was thinking about this. Light is just such a fabulous metaphor for Jesus. Because think, of, I, I thought about this week. Humans, on our own, cannot manifest light. We can't just produce light. It's not like, if I'm stuck in a dark room, it's not like I can just all of a sudden light myself up. Right? It's not like I'm a lightning bug where I can just, you know, turn, turn some part of my body on that manifests light, we can't, we're, no, we, we depend on a light source, right? That's why if you're in the dark, we say, well, turn on a light, 
because we depend on the light source. Or if we've got to get out of the darkness, we have to go somewhere where there is light, where the sun is shining or something like that, or the moon is reflecting at night, right? We, we can't manifest light. We depend on a light source, which shows us that we depend on the light source, which is the light of life. So we depend on Jesus. We can't get out of the darkness on our own. We need a light source. We need the light of life. Do I really need him? Because I can't manifest light on my own. I'm stuck in this pattern of sin, death, and darkness. Do I need him? to, Or is he something less than that? Job, I think, again, Job gets at this. Look at how Job describes like the darkness of sin and death. Before I leave, never to return for the land of darkness and utter gloom, it is a land as dark as midnight, a land of gloom and confusion, where even the light is dark as midnight. Job's onto it. He's like, we can't get out of that land of darkness on our own. We're stuck there. We need the light of light, the, the light of life to rescue us from the darkness. I was listening to a podcast this week, and two episodes, and they were talking about how New Age philosophy has made inroads into the church. And specifically, this episode was about the Enneagram, which is, I'm totally changed on the Enneagram now, but that's not the sermon for today. So if you want to geek out on me with the Enneagram and how it's a load of bunk, uh, talk to me after this service. But they were talking about how New Age philosophy makes its way into the church. And one of the ways is New Age philosophy softens sin. So it, it, sin is, is, is the rebellion that condemns us to eternal death and punishment in hell. That's the reality of sin, is eternal punishment in hell. But what New Age philosophy likes to do is it likes to soften sin and turn it into sort of like a, like a bad choice or like a, you could have better, you know? Like you could be living better. Um, it's sort of, it, a lot of words that are used are like false self and true self. Like sin keeps you from being the self God wants you to be. Now that's true, but it's so much more serious than that. New Age philosophy makes sin seem like something that we can just kind of take care of ourselves if we make some behavioral adjustments and some modifications and, and you know, maybe a little more discipline and you can kind of overcome this on your own. Or maybe if you think about it a little more and apply yourself a little more, you can live a little better and then, and then you'll be better off. You know? And it's like, no, no, we're dead without the light of life. We're condemned without the light of life. We're hopeless without the light of life. Like, do you really need the light of life in your life? Do I really depend on him? This Christmas, when I worship him as a baby in the manger, is it just about warm, fuzzy feelings and the excitement of, yeah, little baby boy, oh, wonderful? Or is it like, that's the rescue plan. Like, if that doesn't happen, I'm in big trouble, man. Because I'm condemned to a land of utter gloom and darkness forever without that baby. Is he the light of life? I could go on about this, but i got to move on. This brings another question for us. This question's a little shorter. But if we do believe that Jesus is 100% required for us, if we believe that Jesus is our only hope to get us out of the land of utter gloom and darkness, and if we believe is the light of life that saves us from our sin, then does my life reflect that light? So if I do believe him, if I do believe he is the light of life, does my life reflect his light? Look at Ephesians 5.8. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of the light. If I do believe him, am I living as a person of the light? This was Israel's job. 
That they were to shine the light of God into the darkness of the world, into the darkness of the other nations. Do I accept that as my role? Because I believe he is the light of life, so now I'm supposed to shine with his light? We'll talk more about this next week. In fact, Matthew 5 verse 14 is our scripture reading next week. It says, you are the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. So next week we'll talk about what does it mean to reflect his light? What does it mean to live as a light source to the world? And then 1 Thessalonians 5, 5 says, For you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to darkness and night. What does it mean to live as a child of the light? That's what we'll talk about next week. From the beginning, God spoke life and He is light. And then, after humans sinned and condemned themselves to darkness, death, He comes into the world. The light of life comes to save us from darkness, and to give us life again when we chose death. He comes into our world. He, becomes, he grows into a man. He goes to the cross in this sort of crazy turn of events. He gives himself over to the darkness, and he gives himself over to death in order to conquer darkness and death. The light submits to the darkness in order to conquer it. The, the, li- the life gives up his life to give us life. So that's how he breaks us out. That's how he rescues us. But that's not the only time that the light of life stepped into our world. And at Christmas, we celebrate the first time he stepped into our world as a baby. But we also celebrate and look forward to the second time he's going to step into our world. They call this the second advent, the time where he comes back again at the end of time when he deals once and for all a definitive blow to sin, death, and darkness, and he casts it all into hell and binds it up forever. No more darkness. That's the picture we get of when the light of life comes back at the second advent. I love how Revelation 22.5 puts this. Look at how this is described by John again. Man, John loves his life and light theme. And there will be no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine and they will reign forever and ever. So God is the light. There's no darkness because it all comes from Him. And then I I love this. This is like, oh, just glorious. Look at 1 Timothy 6. And Paul is just riffing on Jesus and, and someday when the light of life is with us physically, you know, visibly present, He, Jesus, who is the blessed and only sovereign, here are some Christmassy words, the King of Kings, and Lord of Lords, how often do we hear that at Christmas time? Right? King of Kings, Hallelujah! And Lord of Lords, like yeah, he was onto that man. Handel, mm, he had it. Okay, I got to keep going. It's talking about Jesus, who alone has immortality. And then here's the money line. This is the money line. Who dwells in unapproachable light? That's the guy that we get to be with someday, forever, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To that one, to Jesus, to the light of life be honor and eternal dominion. Amen.